0: Radio okie-tok. Radio okie-tok,
1: okie-tok, mesh to mesh. Welcome to Team Rabbitwell Edition 222 with Yvonne Tushita. Beam me up, y'all. The internet can bring many souls together. She has lived with and documented Timothy Leary. Digg's Aliens is a Taurus living in Florida. Join the team as we get to know Yvonne. Find the others indeed. Welcome
2: and well met:
0: Thank you so much. Uh, for to be on the show.:
2: Yeah, so something Yvonne, something we do at the beginning of these uh, episodes is talk about the correlations with the cards that resonate. Well, Raphael pulls cards randomly, it would seem, uh, but I tend to take the episode number. And uh it's two hundred and twenty-two rather kind of sacred, you know, new agey kind of number at that. Um, but two 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 is four uh six altogether, which is the lover's major arcana card in the tarot. I am the gateway to divine love. The lover's card is about seeking connection with others, blending opposing ideas into one, making a choice, accepting yourself as you are, and giving and receiving freely. Raphael, what card do you have? So now
1: i'm once again here we are we are now at the angel number 36 it is the angel of inner outer work and allow me to say there is nothing random about what i do here (laughs) in this case it's chronological so it's not numerological i just started at some point and just going through the cards this is brian Lars wizard of odd angel deck actually And this is the angel of inner outer work belonging to the virtues. This angel is invoked to maintain employment, maintain material assets acquired, and help find lost property, protects against slander and helps people who feel depressed or have signs of depression. This angel helps give information about distant people we have not heard from. It is the honorable God belonging to the Ten of Pentacles in the Tarot, and the affirmation goes. I exercise the qualities of caution, skill, and foresight.
2: So I'm curious, Yvonne, um, what, if anything, between that card and the lover's card resonates?
0: Um, it does resonate because I do healing work. And so, and Tushita means heavenly, like heavenly contentment. And I, that's what I try to do with my healing work. Um, yes i think uh and the lovers hmm <laughs> i don't have one at the moment so i don't know about that it could be could be anything
2: <laughs> well the north node isn't gemini for the collective right now so that is the gemini card so we're all kind of getting turned on to polarity uh twos and fros you know all sorts of weird stuff all sorts of timelines collapsing it seems and i myself am a son of moon gemini so i am the lover's card at some level um and when you said tashida means heavenly coming from is that what uh what's the etymology behind that is that uh spanish or japanese or what is that sanskrit oh my i'm totally sanskrit. off it was
0: it's, given to me by ama uh her holiness ama uh, shri mata amarita nandamai devi she's known as the hugging saint
2: I was going to say, I think we've heard about her before. We've had a guest, actually, there's two Amaz out there. I think she tried to see the real one, and there's a second one. and She's like, didn't get hugged or something like that. She was waiting for the hug. I'm not sure exactly how that went. Um, So I, I think we're going to have all sorts of stuff to talk about, Um, but maybe a brief kind of drive-by shooting way to start, because we've never talked before, Raphael. Uh, we we're trying to piece together how uh, you guys have met, I guess, essentially through the internet. Um. But uh, firstly, kind of what are your recollections of how you turned on to Raphael or how how have you stumbled down the rabbit hole today? How are you here? And then I'm kind of curious about your life. uh, You know, what kind of culture you grew up in and how you got to where you are now kind of stuff. But then we'll go down some insanely interesting things we've heard about you.
0: Sure, Um, how, well, it's, it's, I stumbled across Bashar one day while on YouTube And I had no idea that my upstairs neighbor, when I was living in Phoenix, had worked with Daryl Anka doing video in his early days with his wife. And his wife was also able to channel Bashar. And one time when I went back to visit, uh, Bashar came through my friend for a moment and said something funny. (laughs) Good day um, to you. Pardon me?
2: Uh, I was pretending to be Daryl. Channeling Bashar, and good day to you. I was kind of wondering what the, <laughs> that experience was like because Raphael is the person who turned me on to Bashar. I have all of his uh, kind of stuff on my computer, but I haven't checked it out. So I've heard a few of his channelings, and they always, it's one of those things where it seems to hit me square in the eyes when I wasn't expecting it, but then I, at being a Gemini have this tendency to doubt what I believe and believe what I shouldn't, or whatever, you know, duality. Um uh, someone was like, is this like the most elaborate psyop? What is this? Like, but it seems resonant. I can't understand. So Raphael's very Even much. Even more into sophisticated it. than Q. Even more the most. I mean, it seems like that you know, this life is stranger than fiction. So, um, okay, so that you basically probably stumbled upon Raphael through a Bashar group.
0: Yes, I did.
2: Good on you, oh, really? Raphael.
1: Because what I actually Okay, so basically you joined the Bashar's Highest Excitement group, is that possible? And that may be the initial connection because what I remember now is some kind of a comment, I believe, or maybe in the group where you spoke about being a videographer for Timothy Leary in some way, shape or form or some connection. And that just was the connection for me because Jim keeps going on about him. Of course, I just know too little about him in detail and haven't looked at his work. And that may have been the initial spark. And then some more cool stories that you shared graciously on the internet publicly
0: i'd be happy to um he was quite a character
2: well before we get to that chunk of your life because i'm guessing that was the 90s like walk us through a little of uh yeah where did you grow up what kind of culture when did you start maybe tapping into magic paranormal aliens uh clearly if you're into videography uh you know the tech side of stuff it is aquarius season so when did you start realizing you had gifts with tech and exploring those kinds of um you know realities
0: i started um very interested in um ancient mysteries and ufos when i was very young i'd always clamor to get any kind of book i could find on the subject um everything from metaphysics to to uh, ufo materials and uh ancient uh landmarks and things that that people can't explain how we're built it was fascinating at a young age i grew up in in and around new york city and uh lived a pretty wild life working in rock and roll uh, until i was 27 and then i went to work for tim
2: <laughs> so when you say rock and roll are you talking about like cbgb's type stuff or yes Okay, yeah. I, I, I didn't work it. at
0: CBTVs, but I did. I did go there quite a bit, and I put on rock and roll shows, live music shows.
2: And you were the one performing, or you were just like helping manage, or how'd that work?
0: No, I was helping manage. I was putting a, a promoter and putting the shows together.
2: That's kind of crazy. Um, so, I mean, the Talking Heads kind of blew up there. A few people, Blondie, obviously the Ramones. Um, so, what was the scene like, and what kind of bands were you pushing? And obviously you probably aren't on that same wavelength in terms of like, you know, I imagine the sex, drugs, rock and roll thing has maybe died off a little. You seem a little more grounded, dare I say. Um, yeah. What was that whole scene like And any kind of stories you would recollect?
0: Uh, it was really fun. I, I had a lot of wild times. I mean, there was like after hours you could go until the next afternoon. So like the club scene just went all, all the time. Um, Let's see, I knew Joey Ramon. Um, my friend uh, kind of dated him and took care of him. Um, it was fun. It was wild. Um, it was a little. always oh, chaotic. Uh, it was, I was trying to get the bands paid, which was difficult getting the money out of the owners sometimes. I'm um, mostly all different kinds of rock and roll
2: genre. I was going to say, I mean, that was right when New Wave was popping, which kind of the talking heads were, getting labeled as more or less after the early 70s stuff. What I mean, what year was this? Like like late 70s kind of stuff?
0: Uh, yeah, about 79, 80 was when I started going to clubs.
2: And, I mean, that's a crazy time in New York anyway. Uh, big city, a lot of drugs, a lot of stock markets. Um, I'm, I was born five years after that, so I can't relate. Um, my grandparents actually lived in Manhattan for uh, probably went around then. And um, there's a guy named Tim Keller who has a church up there called Redeemer Presbyterian. They helped found that uh, in uh, Manhattan. But um, I think on the Upper East Side, they lived. Anyway, I've been to New York a shit ton of times, but I have I was actually born in Overlook Hospital overlooking <laughs> uh, New York City from, I guess, Jersey, Summit, New Jersey. So, um, What, I mean, what kind of music are you into? I mean, you're saying all kinds, like, what are the albums that you were popping back then?
0: Mm, I started out with funk, (laughs) which must have shocked my parents, Um, being like a white girl from the suburbs.
2: uh, Like Parliament of (laughs) Funk? Or like what kind of funk?
0: uh, Wild (laughs) Cherry. Okay, okay. Play that funky music (laughs) was my first 45.
2: Were you into disco?
0: i did not like disco no my friends were not into disco they were into rock and roll but i liked all kinds of music i still do i i still have a very wide eclectic range of music that i, I
2: like we can uh, appreciate that i like
0: putting on shows
2: uh right so i mean i'm a musician my brother's the drummer he's toward the nation, I haven't really done that shit. What's the whole managing scene like? I mean, obviously hard to get paid. It's sometimes easier to just get free drinks and, you know, a percentage of the cover as opposed to much else. Um what what was that like? Was it stressful? You're a tourist. I don't know the rest of your chart off the top of my head, but um you can probably make value ground. Like you probably brought stability to these people and you know they were up there kind of doing their thing and you're like, all right, where's the money <laughs> or whatever? How'd that whole lifestyle go?
0: um it it always I I did always get them paid um sometimes I said well you know they're going to come back with baseball bats if you don't pay them so I think you should (laughs) um and uh you know that's what you promised so keep your word and I got them to keep their word um it was chaotic it was crazy it was fun uh I did that kind of because my parents cut me off of school of visual arts. And so I kind of uh, decided to get in the rock and roll world, which they wouldn't like.
2: (laughs) Total rebel. So you were in school for visual arts. Where were you going and what was that trajectory? Obviously, I mean, you kind of stuck with it in some way if you're ending up doing videography, but um, what was, I'm an art history dropout myself. And the reason is I uh, went back one year uh well, during my freshman year I was at VCU down in Richmond, Virginia, and I I went to uh Thanksgiving break and left a bong out and my family found it. They're like, We're not gonna pay for college. Uh since then I've grown weed and they're you know, I live in Colorado, so they're kinda used to this, but um <laughs> at that time in like two thousand five or whatever, it was not kosher. So what happened with you and getting cut off from art school? What was your kind of trajectory and what's the story there?
0: uh some of my work got ruined so my teacher did wanted to give me a good grade so i had to make it up so he just gave me an incomplete and my parents didn't approve of that so that was lame yeah um yeah i had a great time in art school we could smoke and drink in class and we had like six hours of painting and drawing and photography and uh the teachers were very successful and and well known in their fields so they were very very cool with us and we learned a lot and um it was great going to, to like the metropolitan with an old master drawing teacher that i had who was in his 70s and um him and his wife and, and they would take us out drinking <laughs> the teachers um they kind of let us do whatever we wanted pretty much as long as we weren't as long as we were listening to them when they were lecturing in the beginning we could really do what we wished Um, And it was great fun. And I was really happy there. So I was pretty mad that they cut me off. So that's why I went to rock and roll. I already had connections in rock and roll since I was 17. So it wasn't a hard transition for me to do. And uh, it was fun. It was like breaking doors down, being female. Uh, There weren't too many females. And we kind of joined up and we wouldn't uh, let them abuse us or anybody else. So it was fun
2: take like a boss, uh that's cool how you could kind of transfer the uh credit i guess of knowledge and experience from one um i mean it sounds like hogwarts meets animal house or something uh and then you kind of went when that got cut off to the rock and roll lifestyle as they say not a bad gig so all right what i mean we don't have to go off forever into the ramones and stuff but um when did that kind of start drying up? When, I mean, you ended up with Timothy Leary. So, what? How did you switch from rock and roll to like, you know, Acid Guru?
0: Well, I moved from New York to Chicago, and I was working in the club business there and like live music, not not uh, not concerts, but like live clubs. And promoting there. And I came across a magazine called Mondo 2000, which I loved. And in it, they had an interview uh, in one of their issues with a band that they were making called Mondo Vanilli. And the guy, one of the two guys and a girl, um, a performance artist, they were from San Francisco, and one of the guys I went to school with, and he used to make claymation movies with, and he was in all my classes, and I recognized him. And uh, because this club was a pretty hot club, and new club, they were into Mondo 2000, so they wanted them to come to the club, but they said they weren't ready, and they really were looking for an attorney, and a manage and maybe self-manage. And I had a friend, in, what was an entertainment attorney that lived in Los Angeles, so she's a top entertainment attorney. and. She said, yeah, she would be happy to manage them, um, to, to uh, be their lawyer, and to come visit. And they said, um, you know, and she said if they needed a place to stay, that they could stay with her. And they said, no, we have a place to stay. We're staying with Timothy Leary. And uh, my friends said, come on out. So I did, and ended up, they all were like morning people, and Tim and I were night owls. So I ended up staying there quite a bit at night with him. And he, uh, we, uh, someone I worked with at the club, um, an older guy into electronics, wanted to meet him. And I said, Well, I can introduce you if you could buy me the ticket. I will introduce you. And it was one of the, I think it was the 25th anniversary of LSD. And they were having a whole life expo and all kinds of events in San Francisco. And Tim was speaking. So we went out there and went back with Tim. And he asked me to, his, his last wife had left him, and they were in the middle of divorcing but already separated, and he didn't want to be by himself. And so he asked me to come live with him and be um, you know, be a helper to him. And So I thought that was an interesting opportunity, and the people I worked for were like, oh, go! No, it's like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And so I went, and I, I went with a video camera um, that ended up being gifted to me because I interviewed Tim with it and the person said no you're doing more with it than I am go for it and so I went out there with my camera and the archivist uh, convinced me to tape him every day because he was talking about himself and how he wanted to be represented in the movies because Interscope had bought his um, autobiography rights so they had sent a writer over there every day to interview him and and asked him all about him and his life so they said it was a perfect opportunity to tape him every day whether he likes it or not and um i did
2: that is definitely a a once-in-a-lifetime experience um i mean i have a lot of his work on my computer that i haven't read like uh smile i think is something he wrote or maybe not smile but he's got a few things like philosophical works uh how aware of him were you before this i mean i'm guessing having been in the rock and roll world and like, you know, young in the seventies and eighties and stuff, you knew what LSD was. What was your experience with psychedelics up to that point? That kind of stuff.
0: I had done psychedelics in high school and experimented. I didn't know much about him. I thought he was this like revolutionary psychedelic leader in the sixties. And that's really kind of all I knew. And, and I think I also knew that he was a psychiatrist. Um, it was about all I knew about him when I went to live with him. Um, I learned more about him, of course, uh, when he was speaking at the conferences, and he was greatly influenced with the in- and enamored with the Internet and new technology and writing evolutionary progressions of, of human beings and how we jump so fast between radio and television, and that once those things started coming into our world, the tech just Multiplied over and over again at a phenomenal rate, and he was charting that and he also was um, a computer consultant for eight different computer corporations, which is something i didn 't know and He claims that cut, copy, and paste were came about on your computer because of him and the computer people he knew asked him what he would like to write with, what would he want on a computer instead of writing out code. And he said basically to cut, copy, and paste so I can edit my work and something for my contacts. And he said that's how that came about on our computers today.
2: Fascinating. So, I mean, obviously the Internet was starting to pop around then. Um, Like you were saying, it was burgeoning. Uh, What was your impression of it at that point? I mean, were you aware that it was going to be kind of an exponential multiplier, like he was saying, um, in terms of like, you know, rockets compared to horse and buggies? Or uh, how did it feel kind of being, you know, alive at the time before before the Internet?
0: Uh, I, uh I'd like to- I liked the time before the internet, um, the people weren't as distracted, um, but I could see, I was very excited about it. And I could see, and I wanted to learn constantly about com- new computers, uh, when they came about. So, um, and I liked combining computer technology with photography and videography, and I liked doing, uh, projections for raves with video, um um so that i was into at the moment when i went to live with tim
2: so like the super practical applications of tech were you guys thinking in terms of like the matrix movies and stuff like oh my god we're making ai and this will happen eventually like how i'm trying because back then i mean russia was a threat intellectually or you know not that it's not technically anymore i guess these last elections quote unquote but um like you know the cold war was still pretty on it was just a different kind of climate in some ways so were you looking at technology as like an advancement in that sense or like a salvation or were you kind of wary of it it seems like you like playing with it but did you guys ever talk about like the dark side of this stuff or was it full optimism kind of the whole way
0: um pretty much full optimism all the way we thought it would be a great way to speak uncensored and that we could connect with so many people around the world um much more much easier fashion than we had before we thought it would open up new avenues of communication we were excited about virtual reality um the mondo people were interviewing uh people like Terrence mckenna and uh and tim and um jonathan odd the mushroom uh, the microbiologist and all different kind of it was very exciting it was about time of psychedelics and this, this new internet and computer creations that would be able to create more and connect more to people and self-publish and um just be able to get out be able to receive more information and put out more information so that was pretty exciting at the time
2: well huge i mean i know of larry more or less peripherally and i have- done a lot of LSD, so i appreciate his kind of work on that front uh mckenna is a huge spiritual ninja to me i think he's one of the best we've actually had rupert Sheldrake, one of his kind of buddies on before um the podcast so it's funny because what you're describing it sounds like i mean the analogy might be something to the effect of like the 60s and the psychedelic revolution of the you know 60s in that sense i was very much maybe like american colonies where it's like this is wild we don't really know what to expect there's still bears and you know we've got to use guns when we go outside maybe because of native locals or whatever um and it sounds like by the time that mondo magazine was happening um it was more like after the revolution in terms of like i don't know if established psychedelia is what the way i want to put it but it seems like it was kind of putting its business pants on and not being so fringe like counterculture was becoming kind of um, as Frank's episode, there's always a market for anything. It's like it, it became a shareholder in the market of consciousness as opposed to just like this you know, freak Tasmanian devil ripping through um, the the landscape. Uh, that's – I mean Terrence, Terrence McKenna, like I said at that point, if they're documenting him, was having some pretty radical ideas. But before that, it might have been people talking in a tent at a festival or something, whereas now it was getting put into print. People were taking these ideas a little more seriously um, it seems like the counterculture was kind of seeping into the main culture at that point. Like the virus had spread, so to speak.
0: It did, and we got that bug. <laughs> I guess it. Um, yeah, it was. It was an exciting new technologies were were just coming about, and we were at the same time excited by the possibilities of all of those things happening. Um, and just new ways of expression and new ways of creating art and sharing art. So that was, that was an exciting time.
2: Well, I don't want to harp on it too much more, but I'm kind of curious Were you like spun out of your gourd on acid when you were hanging out with him all the time, or you were pretty sober for this. I mean how, and you don't have to divulge anything if you don't want, but I'm like, I'm imagining there's certain fans that would be like, I want to trip with Tim all the time versus uh you know people were like i just hang out with him and we might smoke pot i'm pretty sure he was pretty into nitrous oxide towards the end um hippie crack as they call it uh not in a bad way i've done it i don't know if you've ever done like whippets or nitrous oxide it kind of freezes your brain a little um but yeah what was like the was it like a madhouse to you or was it pretty chill and you just happened to be around people that were colorful like how did you feel about that whole experience may have to push the button
0: oh after dinner would be very chill we would we would go outside in the back and read he would have me read letters and help him form responses to people that had written him and we would get all kinds of crazy letters um people would ask him um to send them drugs or to help him get out of drug charges and um which he couldn't do for anyone but um Sometimes it was very chill. Um, on Sundays when he was home, we would have parties because he felt he didn't have enough time left and he could never schedule everyone that he wanted to see. So he would have big parties on Sundays, which were lovely house parties of all different kinds of people from celebrities to scientists to journalists um, and everything in between. Uh, Sometimes some Japanese photographers, Japanese are really crazy about him and always wanting to interview him. Um, Sometimes it was very chill because I just watched the house while he was out of town and um, it was up in Beverly Hills. Um, An interesting side note is that from the backyard, we could see the house where the Manson family had killed Sharon Tate and um, uh, Folger and, um, Trent Reznor was renting it out and recording the downward spiral in the living room of the house. And we could see it up from the backyard and sometimes, uh, Genesis Oridge when he would stay over and maybe ta- take some substances and get outside and get all the animals howling to scare Trent <laughs> while he was recording up in the studio above us, <laughs> in the house above us. Um, sometimes it was pretty chaotic. I didn't trip all the time with him, although we did a whole bunch of different substances at different times. Um, I tripped a few times with him. Um, and, uh, at the time, uh, ecstasy was pretty big at the time. Um, I didn't get wasted all the time because I I was trying to kind of help manage him and manage phone calls and things like that. And, Um, catalog things and uh, do some archival work Um, and mostly just uh, set up the camera and let it roll uh, every day and all that footage ended up in the New York Public Library along with a whole lot of other people's archives of him as well and that was put in there by um, Winona Ryder's dad who's known as Michael Horowitz and he was in charge of the psychedelic section they had been left for a little bit with his favorite wife but she passed away not long after tim and i don't know exactly what happened from there but I, I eventually got a call from michael horowitz asking for the footage um which i had documented when i came back to chicago and time coded and all that stuff and uh submitted it to him
2: fascinating i mean you're obviously part of americana history i mean global culture as you are saying japanese people I'm I'm learning Japanese. Uh, I've lived in Hawaii before and love the Japanese. Um, but, yeah, it seems that you uh, did your due diligence in terms of uh, archival, um, you know, grunt work, if you would have caught that, or whatever. You were in the trenches. Uh, downward spiral, side note, that's beautiful. I never would have guessed that shit. Um, funny, funny story. Also, it doesn't surprise me in a weird way. I mean I, – I'm not going to say, I don't know about your presuppositions. But it seems that there might be like some psychic residue over an event like that, Um, at, you know, at that house. So it doesn't terribly surprise me. Trent would go there and be recording albums like that. Um, What are your thoughts on that?
0: I didn't really feel any ghosts there. I'm pretty sensitive to that. And I, I didn't, I felt we all kind of felt that they had left that maybe it was just so bad that they didn't want to stick around there and have left and, I really didn't feel any ill feelings there. Um, he was the only one to live there. No one would rent it. And then after he left, the house was leveled. And the only thing that was left was a park bench overlooking like the Beverly Hills Valley from where we were. And uh, Trent kept the front door that they had scrawled pigs in blood with. And that was the only thing that was kept from the house. And then the house was flattened. After he left, and something new was built, I imagine.
2: Craziness. So you feel that you're kind of a sensitive. Pro- well, before I keep on just pecking you with questions, Raphael, is there anything you want to ask? No, just uh, go ahead to
1: because I just don't know enough about all the American intelligentsia and so on to be as up to speed on this as you both are.
2: I'm a total noob, but I'm a Gemini, so I know a lot about a little about a lot. Um, and it does seem like a lover's card. I mean, you were kind of being a surrogate, uh, female counterpart for Leary. I mean, whether you guys were intimate or not, I don't need to know, but lovers in that sense, it's like you were his, you know, female for his male reality was that reality was kind of shutting down. Um, and the playfulness, the trickster, the merry prankster kind of vibe, albeit not always in full blast. Uh, it seems like, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but like people who can survive, um, Psychedelics, in the sense, um, they get really into it for a while, and then like mature with it. So you can't just go hard in the paint all the time. Um, it seems like there's a kind of like an alchemy, like some stages of alchemy, you know, are very violent and and disruptive and chaotic, and you can't just stay in that process. Sometimes it gets into a very chill process. It uh, sounds like that's the the mode in which you more or less hung out with. Um, yeah, ecstasy was kind of popping back there. That's funny. Um, not my favorite drug, personally. I'm already pretty chipper as it is. So like cocaine and ecstasy, I don't really need that. I am that is how I feel already pretty up. Um, but when you were saying you were kind of sensitive to stuff, do you, con- I mean, you, you consider yourself more psychic than not? What kind of events make, or, you know, experiences lead you to, to conclude that?
0: uh well i do healing work with people um so i'm pretty intuitive and pretty in tune with people and surroundings and energy and i can see auras um if i wish i I usually ask and and i can see them um and i've always kind of felt uh, felt very sensitive person um i can tell you one funny thing about tim before we depart um when I was in Los Angeles and I ever I see Rastam and I would say, Ja Rasta hi the Selassie and and one of the Rastas said, he asked me, uh um, what I think of the creator of God and what and what do I call him? What does he so I said, What do you call him? And he says, The most high. So I shared that story with Tim and he goes, That's right, that's me, I'm the most high. <laughs>
2: Zing out yeah i
1: mean i that's it's... certainly a meme that has carried through the ages i would say
2: <laughs> well it's funny play on words obviously because on the one hand i think people think uh the most times like the most exalted let's just put it and i'm sure he's translating it as like the most stoned or you know the farthest out tripping um i'm not one to big do big doses so i've never you know like you know done more than two hits kind of thing um but LSD is one of my favorite drugs. I, I do think this like, I've seen a brain scan, kind of sh- comparing, like, uh, you know, normal cognition versus you know being on lysergic, and uh, your whole brain lights up. I mean, it seems very much a part of our evolutionary trajectory, much in the same way Terence McKenna might have spoken about um, the Stone ape theory with mushrooms being a you know a large part potentially of our human evolution and divergence from the animal kingdom at that level, and creating you know culture, obviously, and uh, maybe tapping into the hyperdimensional. Transcendental object at the end of time Or whatever his kind of shtick was um, It seems acid was also a version of that Actually I met Albert Hoffman's grandson In Switzerland back in 2009 Who is not a psychonaut um, And that was kind of interesting Because it's just like these are normal people That kind of you know he's a scientist that was kind of Fiddling about in the lab wasn't expecting To become you know a psychedelic Kind of prophet at that level So um, you did this Work with Leary fascinating I mean obviously you should at some point, you know, go through your shit and write a memoir or something because that's not typical. Um, what was your exit point? I mean, you were hanging out in Beverly Hills and doing the LA thing. Um, it sounds like you went back to Chicago. Eventually, and did editing. Um, you know, New York and Chicago are similar. LA is not at all like Chicago in that sense. Uh, what was and it sounds like you've uh, were you doing like readings of auras and stuff at CBGBs? Like, was this always a thing, or did you kind of turn on to it over time, or how does that work?
0: No, I turned on to it over time. Um, When I was at school, um, right after School of Visual Arts, I lived across the street from Samuel Weiser's, which was like the greatest metaphysical bookstore there was. And they still publish. And so I would spend a lot of time there reading all different types of magical practices and things like that. But I never practiced any, but I was always I curious about them. So it was kind of a gradual progression. As far as Tim we had kind of wrapped up the whole autobiography, how he wanted to be portrayed. Um, he, I, I was at the time I was 27 and he really felt that he was lived a full life. And um, he was, he was tired and felt that he did everything that he really wanted to do. And he really wanted to exit. And I, I, just wasn't ready at age 27 because I loved him and cared for him so much that I really couldn't be that person to help him do that um it was it was too much for me at that time I I just felt I couldn't contribute to that so I, I and I still felt that he had the right to go any way he wanted that was a big thing that we were talking about Kevorkian at the time Dr. Kevorkian and and having the right to die gracefully and as you, as
2: in the. Your thumb may have slipped. Uh, dying gracefully is what I caught last.
0: Apologies. I have uh, to. Oh, don't sweat.
2: Don't sweat.
0: Okay. Um, where did we leave off?
2: You were just talking about Dr. Kevorkian, which is an interesting. Um, thing because on the one hand like i mean i think leary more than most would understand life is so so mysterious and the and the trajectory is ramping up i mean he was quite well aware of our position in time space you know getting onto the kind of escalator towards the gods or however you want to put that you know it seems like we're starting to get i mean the transhumanist kind of agenda was uh, well agenda is a strong word um ideals and of envisions of the future were coming on strong and it's it's interesting that he was also uh, much very much a proponent it seems like for like ending the ride so to speak
0: yes uh, and i i fully agreed with him that he should have the right to go which in whichever way he felt like choosing to go and uh he that was i believe his last book was on that subject um he felt that people if if they wanted to take themselves out because of illness or or whatever it may be that they should have the right to do that. And that we really didn't have the right to, to go any way we wanted here um, in the United States um, at the time. And I, I think there's still a lot of restrictions on how you can be buried and things like that. And he felt that was wrong. Um, he felt he lived, you know, a super full life. He was tired and he wanted to go. So um, we stayed friends until the end. Um, and uh he went the way he wanted to partying with every with everything to kind of speed that up.
2: Interesting. I think Susan Sarandon even spread his ashes at Burning Man or something. So it's like his, he's got a psychedelic legacy for sure. No matter how much he wanted to maybe get off the (laughs) merry-go-round, it seems like he put certain things into motion in such a way that he's kind of a psychedelic forefather in that sense.
0: Uh, Yes. His ashes got there twice actually. Um, his, I, I, went the first time in two thousand and one with, with one of his archivists, and he brought his ashes up there. He met with Larry Harvey, the founder of Burning Man, and the two of them, what Larry was told and came out, and they, he did a flute, played flute, and they did, they put Tim's ashes at the man, and then later on, Susan Stranded did it as well.
2: So you've been to Burning Man. I mean, it sounds like you're. Uh, I, I want to look at your chart. Um, maybe during the music break, send me that on email or something. Um, it's wh- you're already into raves. You're already into kind of cutting edge scenes. You could put it like that. It doesn't surprise me much that you were at Burning Man. Um, how was that experience?
0: That was fantastic. I, I first heard about it at Tim's, but we couldn't. I couldn't go because Tim was away at that time period. And uh, the Mondo people had told me it was like being in a Salvador Dali painting <laughs> on acid or something. And um, it had just started out, but it took me a number of years before I could get there. Um, and I always had it in the back of my mind from hearing stories from the Mondo Vanilli people. And I went um, because I heard about it at Tim's. <laughs> and uh, that, was, that was good fun. I went to a number of them. Um and yeah, I got into raves. I got into doing projections at raves, and um, that was a lot of fun.
2: Did you, as a tourist find it difficult to be in the desert without like necessities? Did you find it freeing? I mean, it does seem like a an interactive Salvador Dali painting meets like you know the Grateful Dead on loudspeakers with drum and bass or whatever's going on i haven't been seems awesome but also obviously at this point it's uh not, i'm not knocking on it in terms of commerciality but it's like i guess the secret's out you could say so it's like everyone kind of tries to go there um what were the highlights what were your what's the uh can you take off the road color, color glasses for us and tell us anything, you know like were you just disinf- were you like fuck all this dust like how how did it go for you
0: no i actually like the dust i really enjoy the major dust storms you just put your masks on and hold hands and go out there into the dust it's the best actually getting pelted by the dust and going out there in the middle of that i i quite enjoy it um 24-hour dancing and everything is all kinds of experiences to be had um it's fantastic. I think everyone should do it at least once in their life. It's very free. Um, it's a 24 hour party for an entire week. And, uh, the best DJs in the world, all kinds of crazy camps to do all kinds of crazy fun things at each. Um, I enjoy the dust. Um, a lot of us do out there. A lot of people come back and kiss the dust and you know, it's, it's a mix of everything. Um, all kinds of craziness and uh, tribal things. People come from other countries and do tribal ceremonies and uh, all kinds of like different theme camps. So all kinds of uh, wild things going on at different camps.
2: Right. Whether it's like, uh, you know, house music camps or orgy camps or whatever, I've heard some insane stuff. It seems like, I mean, obviously a social experiment on the one hand, at very age of Aquarius, like kind of uh, maybe the the inklings of which Larry was kind of planting and being like, you know, we can push the bounds of what's not only acceptable but like is possible being human. Uh, it sounds very much like one of these kind of edge zones of the human experience. Do you think it's? A, I mean, it seems like now there's. I, I've only been to one festival last. Uh, September up in Orcas Island in uh, Seattle is kind of a conscious festival. So an offshoot of these things with the same idea in terms of art, music, psychedelics, but like, not just like, you know, balls to the walls um, craziness. How sustainable do you think that kind of reality is? Do you think it's kind of like, th- I mean, do you think there's a logic to throwing it out in the middle of the desert? So like, you know, the rest of the world doesn't get infected so to speak, but do you think that the, you know, normies should should and could benefit from that kind of uh, way of being?
0: absolutely i think they should i think it's definitely mind expanding just being out there you don't have to do drugs just being out in the desert and seeing all this art and seeing it burn seeing people just gift one another and and i love the gifting economy about burning man it's very magical and special um to get random gifts and to give random gifts um and it's quite a utopia it's it's like being in the circus for an entire week a wild and crazy circus where kind of anything goes so um i think everyone should do it at least
2: once so at the 3d level obviously it's pretty ratchet and like chaotic and fun and you know mind-blowing did you ever have any kind of experiences as a you know intuitive and maybe more sensitive type, uh, where you're like, holy shit, there's like deities here or angels? Or did you ever feel anything like that?
0: Absolutely, yes. Um, I was doing uh, after the temple burns, uh, the, the man burns on Saturday and the temple burns on Sunday, and I, or it was one or the other. And I, everyone was. I noticed everyone was going counterclockwise, and I started to say, oh, no, this doesn't feel right. We need to go. I need to go clockwise. And this Hindu man came through the desert straight to me and said, I see what you're doing. I see you're doing ceremony and praying. May I join you? And I said, yes. And so as we were going around, I saw this one guy who looked like a really buff, fit Santa. And he just had his jeans on and he was branding in the fire while four people had laid in different meditative positions. One like face lying on their stomach, another lying on their knees praying. And there were four people as close as you could to the fire. And this guy who looked like Santa was branding Branding things um, because he was on the temple crew, and it was the last year that the artist who had always done the temple, it was his last one, he was going to retire. So he was making special commemorative plaques. And I stopped and I saw him and I said, Can I see your angel wings? Can you turn around for me? And I said, Those are the biggest wings I've ever seen in my life. And he just winked at me and he says, I know this one's for you.
2: <laughs> That's dope. Uh, I mean, I guess you must have been not too surprised, but uh, it seems like that's almost like a a light for moths of, uh, of a certain dimensional quality, if that makes sense. I think, you know, if people want to go and just sit in Wall Street and kind of grind out numbers and stuff, that's going to be a certain type. Not that, you know, they're not woke or whatever, but it's like Scrooge McDuck types are going to want that reality as their highest excitement, I guess you could say, in a bizarre sense. Um, it sounds like, you know, that kind of high vibe, Anything goes, utopian, psychedelic situation might attract aliens, angels, etc.
0: I think so. I think I think a lot of special angels go and connect there. That was my my feeling and interpretation of it. And um, always, you know, really special people and very special experiences that really couldn't really be created anywhere else.
2: So when did you start turning on to – I mean you said you lived in Phoenix at one point and your upstairs neighbor was a Bashar kind of aficionado and you heard channelings. Were you always kind of open to channeling? I mean obviously living across from um, Wiseman's I think you called it. uh, That bookstore might have turned you on to the occult, the esoteric, maybe the fringe. Um, When did you kind of start getting galactic in flavor?
0: i think since i was pretty young like the um the nas the is it the nasdaq lines the animals in the in the mountains in in south america where you can only see them from space so i think i got into aliens then
2: interesting and i mean uh were you always like is it X file style like I want to believe and you always just like thought why not or did you do you have you had experiences where you're like okay this shit's real I'm kind of trying to segue into the Bashar stuff eventually and I'm trying to see how best to thread that you needle know, because it seems like oh, you're participating oh go ahead
1: not just to say the proper framing of the question would be in my view of course whether uh, you already remember partially or fully or to whatever extent the experiences that you most likely already have had just as most likely pretty much everyone, even just listening to this podcast has. That's at least how the theory goes, according to Bouchard, and that we've only forgotten. And I mean, I've recounted some, let's say, strange thoughts, emotions, experiences. But of course, we're curious uh, to you. So in this sense, I'm asking whether you already can recall.
0: (laughs) I can. I had after videotaping daniel salter one night i went out off the grid in above taos new mexico and i was going to visit some friends where i knew exactly how to get there i was very straight shot and just take right and and straight shot at this people's house and i went out there and i think i was transported they picked up my entire vehicle and put me down someplace else because I was on the other side of the, ca- uh, of, of the whole area a number of times. And I heard it was quite happening happen- happen quite often out there that people would have a lot of UFO experiences because it was completely off the grid area. Um, but like about three or four times, I ended up on completely far, far away from where I was. And I had to have a, a friend actually came out with his lantern that I was able to actually even get back. And it and and Lisa's up. Maybe you got picked up and they said uh, wrong person. Put her back down. <laughs> um, but I was totally on the other side of town, like the the other side of the whole region. And it happened to me numerous times. And I knew how to get to this place like the back of my hand. So it was that was only experience that I think I was taken and put back down. <laughs>
2: Was that scary, or like, how'd that fuck with? I mean, was were you excited about that, or how do you feel? How do you feel about that experience? It's not typical, obviously. No, it, yeah, it was really bizarre because
0: I was still driving when I came back, and all of a sudden I'm in a whole different area, and and I didn't know how I got there. Um, it was, um, yeah, I was I was nervous. Uh, it was definitely unnerving to be like, wait a minute, how did I get like 15 miles away? all of a sudden and then you come back and, and still be driving.
2: You seem like you've integrated the experience pro- like well enough, like you're not, you know in a an asylum or something, you know, or whatever. So um I'd say Jim, let's play your song and then we'll get, get into the reasons more reason.
1: why it's so well integrated. Because there's much more scarier things I think that you may also be willing to share. Word. Sounds good. So the question is, to what degree is this programming? To what degree is it just a fictional story? And to what degree is it disclosure? And to introduce this, I'll just share a brief semi-public Facebook comment by Eddie Lin, who's been on the show talking about disclosure in cartoons, actually, together with Steve Wilner and other guests. And he recently posted about the man in black. There's apparently a guy called Dan A. Croyd talking about Man in black. And Eddie Lin writes... Dan
2: A. Croyd. He's yeah.
1: from Saturday Night Live. Just we're all on the same page. Right. And Eddie Lynn writes, who the hell are you guys? There is that story back in 2006, a month after my ayahuasca trip, where I was warned by these men in suits driving a massive Oldsmobile. That I want to mention is interesting even just for the rune signaling and so on. Look at the logo. Anyways, they intercepted my date and both the girl and I had a time loss of two hours and we missed our movie. I was warned to find another girl. And then later on, he mentions it was not meant to be. She was a chemist. She asked me about my ayahuasca encounter and she wanted to synthesize DMT in her lab well anyways pretty crazy story and he's not you know the only one and i just want to mention this because with some stories they can they seem so far off for here the first time and you're like oh what is this like is it someone making up you sure you didn't take too much drugs and so on but then when you in my view at least neutrally try to collect all these testimonials ultimately any evidence can only be phenomenological so i just want to put it down here once again in general to really be listening to each other's stories closely. Everything is mediated by your own perception and beliefs, of course, yet still I'm pretty convinced that if we put it all together, we can get a quite clear picture, which also brings up the whole question, of course, even mentioned in the song right now. Are there really things we're truly not supposed to remember? And who or what is that controlling faction? Is it monolithic or not? Who can decide what to know, what to remember, what to forget? Yvonne, anything you'd like to mention?
0: Yes. Um, sorry about that. Um, You're cool. I took a DMT trip. I had heard about DMT at Tim's house, but nobody had had any. It was kind of this roundtable of sort of scientists, uh, journalists, etc. Um, we They all talked about how wonderful it was, but nobody had any. And Tim was like, I'll write you a check. <laughs> Give us some. But it didn't manifest while I was there, but it did a few years later manifest. Um, and I did the kind that Terrence McKenna spoke about, which I believe is NNDMT, and though didn't know it at the time. And so I saw the little, as Terrence described them, the machine elves. And they came out and played with me and my friend, who her and I had decided that we could go back for a second trip, but so the first trip that we would just play with them and see what they were about and kind of observe their mischief. And they uh, said, don't worry about death. Your soul is infinite. They laughed at the thought of aliens. They said that they've been here longer than we have and that they go in and out of walls and dimensions in our bodies and solid objects whatever they can go mutate and go through everything and um they you had to i had to give them permission so i said i will wait on that until my return and when i went back again i i said yes and gave permission and it felt like infinite energy had shot out of each temple and they gave me they said i don't because they're only there for 15 minutes um it's too much to tell me so that they gave me a big ball of information kind of directly downloaded to my brain which all i can remember is that it has to do with galactic information but i don't know the details of it um and they said at the end the being turned into light and was about to pluck a star out of the sky and said this is what we do we play with the universe
2: Fascinating. So, very galactic flavor. Um, it, yeah, I've blasted off. I've said this so many times in the podcast. It's kind of redundant. This is actually the story that Raphael saw on the internet on Facebook and then hit me up. And that's why we're friends. That's why this whole thing. So, DMT seems to be this weird binding agent to very weird, weird. I mean, acid's weird, but DMT is the weirdest. Uh, McKenna's whole shticks on it. Uh, very informative. But, yeah, I mean, I was talking to Egyptian deities having Kundalini awakenings, kind of like what you're saying, with like massive kind of downloads, you could say. Um, how, how familiar, because it's only one phosphorus chemical away, apparently, from magic mushrooms, which are mind blowing, but not quite the same phenomenologically. Um, what are your impressions of what that realm is? Do you think you're playing in your own psyche? Do you think these things are actually real, quote unquote, whatever that might mean? Um, yeah, what's your take on. Uh, all that
0: I felt like they were very real that they just exist on a different dimensional plane and they um, can morph any way they want to because they're on this different dimensional plane um, and that they were fun Um, they wanted to kind of just encourage that you don't have any fear about anything about dying or meeting aliens or or anything, but because your soul was infinite, so it was very comforting. Um, they're very, they were very playful for my friend and I. Um, I think it did open me up to a lot of new possibilities of things. Sometimes I think I feel their presence, or uh, kind of just kind of know they're always here <laughs> with us, and that um, they don't mean any. The I didn't feel like they meant any harm at all. And they were just being playful, mystical creatures.
2: (laughs) Do you think that uh, experience shoved you more into your kind of healer modality and maybe, you know, that kind of part of your evolution? Uh, Because it's so jarring. It's hard. I mean, McKenna does a pretty good job, but it's hard to even explain the experience. Um, After I'd had that first trip, I was like, oh, my God, all the myths are real. Like Valhalla is probably real or whatever. It's because it felt like I was in the Hall of Mott or something. So I was just like, oh my gosh, what the fuck? Um, so, and not that I'm skeptical, but being a Gemini, it's like I like to use my head if I can. And, you know, there's for every fact, there's a counterfact. For every, you know, pro, there's a con. Um, I'm wondering. you Jim,
1: it's all good. Yeah,
2: I know. Trust me, my fiance's always giving me shit about that. She's like, where's your heart? Especially this Aquarius season. I've been in my head a lot. Um but in any event, do you think this uh, uh, experience of yours with your friend, did that shove you in a different direction or just kind of reinforce where you were already going? I
0: think it reinforced where I was already going more than anything and to be more curious about things. I think it definitely inspired less fear, more pushing boundaries, I guess, and uh, not having fear in my life. and makes life a whole lot more pleasant
1: so speaking of that did i see this properly that you also mentioned at some point a reference in particular to men in black
0: yes um so i am not in the i would say around 2000 or 99 or two about 2000 no i'm sorry 2001 i worked with an a friend of mine had a full avid array to edit. And Do you smoke again? Okay, no, I'm, I'm doing Sorry about that. You're, so, uh, sw- sw- you're sw- cool. Uh, <laughs> should, Life happens. This so is live. Is. So, okay. Um, so I had a friend who had an editing day and we had heard about this woman named Nancy Redster, and she we admired her books, and she had written from an indigenous perspective about all these different indigenous beliefs and all indigenous tribes believe in aliens. And, but she had also written one book on Daniel Salter. So we had interviewed a number of the people that were in the books that could come to us or we could go to them. And um, then after that, we interviewed Daniel Salter Uh, we had some parameters to questions that we couldn't ask to Daniel but Daniel had given Nancy evidence of UFOs that the Nazis and the United States had called honeyboos And that they had picked up crash landings and made UFOs. Um, and that Daniel also claimed that he was at Roswell, that with uh, a radar, I believe, or some type of energy beam, I guess, uh, they had, confused these two ufo craft and caused them to crash and he said they were never able to make them crash again like that they had figured out how to counter counter that but that actually two vehicles crashed in roswell but he went to roswell and he said the autopsy tapes were real that they didn't realize they actually killed the aliens and the aliens were not dead when they autopsied them they were in a state of status to repair themselves but that one of them had lived and he had taken it to Los Alamos and where it lived a little over two years at Los Alamos. And he hired a botanist because he figured that it lived from solar, uh, from plant and solar energy. Um, So he hired a botanist to care for the being. Um, They said they were told a lot of things by this being, Um, But they weren't always sure if the being was being totally honest with them about the things that they had told them. They really didn't have any proof of that. Um, But when asked as to how he explained who he was, he said, think of him as the cigarette man from X-Files.
2: Interesting. I mean, this is a lover's card, which is Gemini. Gemini's the trickster so if you mean from oh. x-files I, I, rafael have you not seen the x-files i know it I kind of gives a kind of too long ago oh it's dope it's well worth i mean i might re-binge it there's some episodes that are very freaky actually um now that i'm thinking about it like the sewer man and stuff but uh basically there's uh, at some point in the whole plot and i'm gonna botch this to any hardcore fans but basically at some point i mean the whole premise is that Uh, And ironically, um, David Duchovny was in Twin Peaks as a cross-dressing FBI agent. I think they kind of took that character and cut it in two and made it like a man and a woman to become the X-Files eventually. Um, Same idea. Anyway, long story short, FBI agents who research paranormal activity from ghosts to whatever, you know, vampires, whatever. Towards the end of the series, they start having more consistent themes of like kind of like Zeta, like evil, dark Zeta, colonization, Illuminati type disclosure i guess you could put it um and the guy the cigarette man is essentially kind of um, a liaison between super elite intelligence kind of circles and like uh the main characters he's like yo i'm gonna i mean i'm trying to think of a good way to put it like he kind of leads them along without giving them too much almost like a mentor or something Anyway, you should watch it it's pretty cool stuff uh yeah even i think ironically we're talking about aliens and ufo's and stuff um spoiler alert closure's kids the cigarette man ends up at some point in like a native american kind of like cliff dwelling place as i recall i won't give too many more details than that but so, so
1: what i'm curious about then cuz also eddin writes about this and from what i see reading his whole comment it sounds like he says that these people would have been protecting him In some way shape or form and that's also the storyline that comes about through the song with will smith right so i'm just kind of always wary of those that say they preclude information from me for my own good at the same time there's all kind of you know maybe one could say gnostic arguments or something that some people are not ready for the truth or are not ready to be unplugged from the matrix and so on so i can also understand all of that So my question would be to you, Yvonne, in your relationship to this idea of man in black, would you have overall experienced it or recognized as a concept that's more like nefarious or benevolent or just like so many other things, not monolithic in its intention? Or because maybe you know about, you know, the best way to start with this, I think, is Catherine Austin Fitz. And I don't know how many they are now, 21, 42 missing trillions or whatever, superbly well-documented of money gone missing and if anyone has ever wondered why everyone's paying so many taxes and debts and so on You know, there are black and ultra black projects that can literally consume 95% of human productivity just in case anyone's wondering why there's sometimes lack of resources uh, someplace, so my question in a sense is how would you uh, differentiate or define that? It's already great not to have fear. I'm completely with you, but I'd be curious, you know, as to your assessment.
0: Well, he did, there was something very odd about the way it ended. When it ended, he was in frail shape and the phone rang. So my partner in in filming went to answer the phone and he was given some kind of code sentence to which, Daniel replied some type of code word and my partner and I just looked at each other with the raised eyebrows and said, what was that all about? Hmm. Um, yeah. Some of it was very nefarious. He said he was the guy who warned people like, you're not going to talk about this. Otherwise people are going to come back and, and hurt you and your family, etc." So, Sounds like so. you
2: with the bands you managed in New York. <laughs> <almost>.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and he did say, you know, he said they had a very horrible mode of of killing people by like taking a shish kebab, or, like a long skewer, and putting it in their ear, to so that it wouldn't be quite apparent um, to shut them up. But he said he wanted to talk because he had brain cancer and he nobody else to tell the stories but him. He said yes, that millions of dollars has gone missing because of bases you know bases underground and they've made teleportation of inanimate objects possible and that they would appear in his hallway that there was no way you could not see snow prints of footprints coming to his door but they would not be there the footprints wouldn't be there and the packages would end up in this hallway between
1: uh outside between outside yes
2: The men in black got her. She's, she's going to get shish kebab. She said too much.
1: Oh, please. It's like ho- horrendous. No.
0: Images.
1: <laughs> Anyways, no footprints, you said.
0: No footprints, and the packages would be in his hallway, and there was no way to get there without leaving footprints. But he said these packages, so that's how he knew that teleportation of inanimate objects was already achieved. He also said, I think there was somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, – 46 different humanoid species that they were aware of.
2: So I'm not an expert. This is more Raphael's kind of place because he's the one who turned me on to Bashar and stuff. What what are you guys' opinions on all this? I mean, this is where I think the human mind can kind of start getting into fear territory very quickly. And I do appreciate that the DMT... Experience at least made you be like, Fear not, or whatever, you know, very much radically. Um, how if the
1: angels told you not to be scared of the aliens, it's a lot easier to interact with them, and
2: yeah, it's quite a complex theme. But please, to ask a question. Well, I'm, uh, this, you guys can kind of hash it out because I haven't, other than DMT beings, uh, and you know, I know that you're an RH negative, Raphael, my fiance is an RH negative, um, which presumably it's uh, more reptilian blood or whatever like this isn't my domain so like I listen to Bashar occasionally and I'm like wow like even with DMTs like that's a very natural state for humans compared to like cannabis and stuff like that I've, I mean what little I've heard about him talk about drugs um, that's more like the natural way reality is are we just so kind of in a Gnostic sense maybe like hardwired into our machines that we're just not experiencing things it's like a bad yuga in a in a kind of hindu sense like where it's like we're in a very dense time and it's hard to remember the technical dream we're in um but i'm I, I don't really have a question i'm kind of just curious uh you know as you guys are both Bashar fans i would be i'm a fan but I, it's so peripheral like i've seen his documentary because of Raphael and heard some uh you know lectures or and channelings um, which I find fascinating because they're like downloads, but then like when people come and ask questions, that's when it's kind of like very fascinating sociologically to me because I'm like, oh yeah, it's, oh yeah, you know, it's one thing to like hear, you know, hear, read Timothy Leary's book. It's another thing to like, you know, have a Q and A or something. Like that, right. So, um, anyway, uh, yeah, whatever you guys want to talk about in terms of Bashar, I'm kind of rambling Gemini life, but it, we're kind of going into territory where it's like not dark in a bad way, but I'm like, how do you guys qualify this given that, uh, framework of, um Reality Tunneling.
1: Maybe Yvonne, I'm not sure if you explicitly mentioned how you initially got to know of Bashar, And then maybe also just briefly mention how you got to find, uh, quote unquote, my or our group.
0: Sure. I was just looking on YouTube for different interesting videos to watch. And I watched a video on Bashar, And I really enjoyed it. It really made me think a lot about things he was saying. And When was made- that? I'd say maybe 2010 or 12, right. 2012, some, somewhere around there. And I became really fascinated with him to find out that my upstairs neighbor had worked with Bashar with his wife then um, and Daryl Anka when he was just getting going. And um, his wife was able, and um, he on occasion had Bashar come through. And one day when I visited a few years back, um, I was just having a conversation with him, and all of a sudden I was talking to Bashar for a moment who said something funny about different dimensions. Is all I could recall, and just some kind of joke about that.
2: So, Raphael, leaving rabbit hole crumbs way early on, clearly. Um, So it resonated with you. Like I said, it's one of those things where – I don't know how to feel about it. Uh, I don't I don't feel it's wrong. So I don't think it's like, you know, like diversionary, I guess is the best way to put it. But it's so radical. Um, it's almost like a psychedelic where it's like once you cross the threshold with this stuff, you start realizing it's very different than maybe you presupposed. One presupposed culturally, et cetera. Um How – and the fact that you kind of even had proximity to Daryl and his wife, fascinating, or, you know, through people or whatever. Um what kind of things are you taking from that worldview? Um, is there anything that you don't resonate with it is a hundred percent like this is what's up or are you like, I don't know, 50, 50, like, how do you feel about that? And I'm curious, Raphael also how you feel, but go ahead. Um, Yvonne.
0: I resonate with him. I think he's trying to get people to open up their minds a bit more. And I, I resonate with what he, what he has to say. Um, I also resonate with a lot of other people who are channeling lately um not all but many um, many people are channeling angels and having experiences that and messages coming through that way and they both they all seem to resonate with me and it makes me more curious
2: lover's card life to curiosity seems i mean in that card it's just like explore reality through opposites it seems um I don't know if you're aware, but uh, Raphael is a conscious channeler. So, I mean, it sounds like, uh, and I pulled tarot cards to do astrology charts, but that's a little different. It's not quite like scooting over and letting consciousness reside within me in that sense, Um, or however you guys might put it. Raphael, go for it. Yeah,
1: It's it's really all a matter of definition. That's what we could briefly discuss maybe, Ivan, also about the layers because the issue, of course, always is, as they also say in relationships, you can only meet others to the degree that you've met yourself or love others degree you've loved yourself, loving yourself, so on and so forth. And uh, of course, it's kind of almost natural to me, it seems if there's like waves of people coming online and they, through whatever other process or practice, aren't really grounded or integrated yet, it is very easy to misunderstand all kinds of maxims or rules or yeah concepts so it sounds to me, and I'm curious, because for me it was similar. I found Bashar about 2012, I guess, as well, or 13, 13. I was just writing essays and uh, kind of getting, having some phenomenological experiences that kind of proved to me like everything is eternal and so on. And I can finally relax because it was kind of stressed about dying. Obviously, I, I think it's very natural and understandable from that point of view, where people are scared of death if you don't know you're eternal obviously quite scary, I guess. I mean, yeah, different viewpoints. Anyhow, so I got to that point and uh, integrated that or basically recognized in Bashar that many things he was researching or he was, I was researching, were just put in a much simpler and more succinct fashion. And because I like, you know, the best, simplest explanation that accounts for everything and is still at least as verbose that you can logically deal with it. And very quickly, we're also in the realm of paradox and different kinds of nonlinear logic, which is requires, I guess, the activation of the entire brain, which is where psychedelics or other practices may help, to really be able to grok it. But since I had at least some basic foundation in self-reflection or whatever, I was just able to grok that, oh, this is kind of even what I had been asking for. Because just before I was basically asking the universe for, you know, a better, simpler, more succinct explanation. And then I stumbled across his videos two weeks later, checked out just the website back then, just simple text with the four laws. And I was reading through this and I was like, oh, nice, finally makes sense. Doesn't make you give your power away to everyone, gives you all the power back actually, makes you completely self-responsible and... Uh, yeah, also makes it really simple with highest excitement and so on and so forth. And I was just like, well, it just makes perfect sense. And, of course, also fits with all kinds of other metaphysical systems. So just like Bashar mentions, it is just an updated vocabulary. And, of course, the ET flavor, which I was always kind of into somehow, because even just it's logical, right? So it's a nice uh, overall combination.
2: That answer your question? Uh, my question? Yeah, I'm just, I, it starts getting into a turf where I'm not as familiar, so I can grope about in the dark, but I mean, I don't know if I'm touching a trunk or a, a tusk or a foot of the elephant, so to speak. Well, then maybe
1: the question I would have for Yvonne then is the way it sounds to me, at least, is that probably you've had many experiences before you came about it. And how do you maybe see that process for yourself, or how we could also put that in relation now to all the, you know, potential nefarious or strange stories up to Morgellons within that context?
0: Well, um, Daniel said they were far more advanced than we are in all his contacts with them. And that if they wanted to hurt us and destroy us, they would have already done so, so that that was his viewpoint um from there so um hmm. I'm, I'm sorry please uh, ask the next part of the question
1: right so basically the how we would combine it one question for me would be let's say the view of Bashar and his teachings and kind of it's almost like you enter a school but you don't enter in primary school you already put into the front row seat in a sense because of Previous understanding you may have had but but that's more like a question about how people see bashar and how people get confused with channelings and metaphysical knowledge generally and the other specific question would be how you relate the framework of bashar in terms of basically everything is a holodeck and then within that context still experiencing things like for example more gallons or things where one would say oh my god this is super scary nefarious and then how to cope and integrate that because that's usually the challenge to have a positive outlook but still be able to look at really dark stuff in order to be able to transform it
0: well yes um i think that's really important and i think one has to take what's happened to oneself and find an answer and then it's our we must do that um with my friend who has morgellons um i saw what it was did did to her and so i did a lot of research on that and found it to be quite disturbing but at the same time there is someone who says they can cure it um morgellons is a a disease where either fibers like fiberglass or red and blue looks like plastic string comes out of people uh, sometimes it could be like a little um, shaped uh, like hexagram or not hexagram uh, hec- uh, octagon or something to push through the skin. and uh, this nurse had viewed it as she had it, and she had her friends who were bio um, micro bio, microscope people to examine them and they found that they were miniature Buckmeister Fuller balls. So the guy who created the GS domes. And that these little balls um, were nano sized and could you know, could carry viruses and the part the red and blue stripes were seen emanating out of one of these tubes. Um and the people with Morgellons, what their body is doing is rejecting all of this and pushing it out. And it's very painful for them. Um, also, the American Medical Association told the Psychiatric Association to tell these people they're crazy and that they're imagining these things. Um, there's very few experts who are able to deal with them, um, but luckily, I, I mean, I kept searching and searching, and supposedly there's a, a guy who created an electric device, electrical wand device that passes over the body a few times and rids these people of Morgellons. Um, a lot of the videos that I've noticed were scrubbed on Morgellons on YouTube. Um, I find that pretty disturbing and nefarious, but. Um also at the same time it, as horrible as it is there are people that are pushing it out and there's ways to combat it. So there's always some kind of answer that's shown. Um if you keep searching for it.
2: Yeah, I've seen some like I guess, you know, documentary about that at some point. It always I haven't done enough research. I don't know anybody who's ever had it, but one of those very X filey type things was like, What the actual fuck is going on? Um because it's pretty weird and the fact that buckminster fuller uh who actually if you're in florida i've been to disney world a shit ton of times as a kid uh epcot center is that geodesic design he's he's been famous for um as well as the concept which i'm sure timothy leary and mckenna types would you know love and maybe even jammed on a little um, spaceship Earth where it's like we are on a spaceship and it's called Gaia and we've got to like treat it like you know like we're crew of the USS Enterprise or whatever but it's like instead of Star Trek or something it's, it's Earth and just to share maybe two brief experiences in terms of strange
1: paranormal things or first or second hand account ideas so the one guy I had met on an alien conference in Germany was actually part of the so called Ariel phenomenon written with an E, which was basically a UFO landing at the primary school in Zimbabwe, I believe. Um, And I actually met the guy, you know, about 25 years after he experienced this and would have absolutely no reason to doubt him. And he wasn't, you know, boasting or anything at all. It was more like, oh, Francis, now come up and please talk about this. And he was like, yeah, this is what I recall, you know, so on and so forth. So pretty cool, though, I guess. And another individual i had met at a conference in california in 2011 is richard theme written t-h-i-e-m-e interestingly enough formerly a priest as i understand and then became ultimately a science fiction writer and he gave like a talk on i guess the you know academic industrial entertainment so on and so forth complex and how, you know, people are artificially divided and against each other. Um, and then ultimately also said, either in private conversation, but I don't think this is, you know, so secret. And many other authors actually mentioned this because he had apparently some, you know, let's say connection to security apparatus or whatever paranormal investigations or something. And then he put it into books and ultimately was approached and it was told him, well, you know, you can write about this. It can't be hundred percent true but if people know what the five to ten percent switched up are then it's true enough and you just have to declare it as fiction and then you can put it out and there's one great short story book by him called mind games to anybody interested in yeah just exploring some of these topics and anyone then ultimately has to decide for themselves what is true or not but it's really strange because so much has been pushed into popular culture just like with magic and so on that it's made to appear like, oh, sure, this is just like in the movies, ha ha. But then you listen to all of these stories and at least some of them are credible enough. And then it appears more and more like, well, you know, what they put in the movies is just the Hollywoodized version of things that very well may have happened and are happening, including technology, encounters, so on and so
2: forth. So I'm curious, Yvonne, how did you end up from Chicago to Sarasota, Florida? Um, Florida's beautiful. Are you just kind of doing the whole um, winter bird thing where you like screw the cold or how'd that work?
0: I'm staying because I'm like, screw the cold. Um, but my mom is here and she's getting up there in years. So I want to be near her.
2: Well, that's and nice I I've,
0: I've grown to like it here a lot.
2: Oh, it's it's weird. Uh, I've been in Florida. My um, sister lives in, I guess, St. something, like the oldest city in America. I forget what it's called. St. Petersburg? or St. Petersburg. Petersburg. Yeah, yeah. It's like really weird because, I mean, I grew up in Virginia where Williamsburg is and stuff. And this precedes even that, I think, Uh, you know, kind of pirate city meets colonist trading post thing. Um, what has your, uh, situation been like in terms of becoming, you were saying, you know, more of an intuitive and in the healer, tell us kind of about what you're up to there and, uh, maybe what kind of modalities you're incorporating, et cetera.
0: Oh, that's interesting. That we earlier we were speaking about mushrooms. I did mushrooms with one of my patients um, yesterday,
2: and it was really, Ross.
0: really awesome massages. Um, I gave a couple of massages, um, and it was a really great experience. Um, so, uh, I which was hadn't been for quite some time, so it was it was quite good um saw deities and stuff as well so I think what did into you that say that it earlier. was a quick
2: trip report. i mean we'll get into your practice and stuff but i mean jesus you just tripped yesterday so it's like yeah uh yeah. yeah what what happened uh what did you see
0: um yeah actually i saw my friend as ibis the egyptian god and that Ibis was my friend in this on um, this trip it was pretty interesting
2: um do you feel a connection to Egypt?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I have. I've studied Egyptian art, and I've, I've been told that I'm an ancient soul and that I've spent a lot of time in Egypt. So. And
1: but just for reference, really Ibis is
2: Toth, right? Yes.
1: <laughs> yes. yes.
0: Wisdom, knowledge.
2: Uh, it's actually Hermes Termagistus, right? Yes. Uh, yes. yes. Which is right. the lover's card, Gemini. I mean, this is the, that, that energy, Mercury. <laughs>
0: oh so that's how it fits in <laughs>
2: it always fits i was like and this can't just be up my son's side.
1: and just to mention this is episode number 222 which is six of course i mean just like lover's card and we had the angel number 36
2: nine of course so yeah so yeah, yeah. good experience yesterday um uh, you're saying you give massages uh like what okay so is this part of your practice and like your modality where you use psilocybin mushrooms or kind of walk us through the whole uh rigmarole of let's just say the menu of your options uh, as a healer
0: um no it was just offered to me by my patients Oh, it was just a
2: fun time with our it friend. was a fun
0: time yeah Okay, cool um, I, I had gotten a massage once from my therapist when we were both on mushrooms many years ago, and it was a really good experience. So um, I tried it the other way around, and it was a really good experience, so, a lot of connectivity and a lot of healing that, that occurred. So it's really quite good.
2: And I'm curious, uh, do you have like a favorite psychedelic? Because mushrooms have always uh, kind of explained to people as like the hobbit maybe or Narnia where it's like very magical and whimsical and it can be intense but like usually it feels almost like you're realizing yourself it, it, there's just a certain quality to it it's almost like beer <laughs> i mean that's where it's like a body high almost not that you're drunk but it's like you know you can get sleepy you yawn a lot that kind of stuff uh acid felt much more psychological more like i don't know tron or something where it's just like whoa okay i'm on the grid and we're just Data points in a matrix, you know that that kind of thing, and then I guess the matrix or something like that would be DMT. Where it's like, oh shit, it's not at all what I thought it was, and actually, I'm in a simulation. It's the holodeck. Yeah, exactly. uh Did you have any preferences, or yeah, you know, I mean, it sounds like you're kind of cool with them all.
0: Um, yeah, I'm pretty cool with them all. Um, I don't think I want to do five MEO DMT again. I didn't, I didn't really care for that one. Um, I liked doing mushrooms recently. That was really good uh also hmm, i like ayahuasca too
2: i was gonna I ask i have Christmas not Christmas. yet done that rafa has since i know in orlando there's a ayahuasca thing. church and yeah.
1: just yeah asking since it's rare with f m e o d m t I dmt i believe also called bufo if i'm not completely mistaken is like as i have understood it i've never experienced it a hypercharged version of dmt and what i had heard just from sitting in on like a psychological trip sitting group or i don't know how you call it support group or something people mentioned i believe like basically almost blanking out like it's such a different frequency that there is apparently no real reference point aside from unconditional love can you share anything about your experience with that also maybe why you say you don't want to do it anymore
0: um, I would like to do the NNDMT and talk to the machine elves again. I found those more enjoyable. Okay, so um, th-
1: there is a differentiation here. Is, is there also, because that's I, n- I have experience uh, with, let's say, some variants of DMT, but is there like a particular flavor to get to the machine elves in- <laughs> explicitly? Because I'm not sure if I would ever say that I've met them in that way just like in this amazing i'm not sure if you've ever seen it if not i'll send it a super fun uh, movie a music m- movie uh, my computer just became self-aware yeah anyone go
2: watch it it's super great we played it here once <laughs>
0: Sounds good. I'd like
2: to check that out. That it's out. like Weird Al Yankovic with like computers and DMT. You'll like it. So is there a
1: particular flavor you need for the machine elf? So how do you differentiate those two or just regular DMT and the 5-MeO, just so I can understand the differentiation?
0: Well, I didn't even know when I did it. I just knew it was DMT. And then another time later on, some friends had gotten some, some as well. And it just said DMT, but it, the experience was completely different. For me, being on the NNDMT is when I saw the machine elves that Terrence McKenna describes. And then when I did the 5-MeO DMT, it was a death experience. And I felt like I was getting ripped out of my body and projected out astrally at full force without any way to stop it. So I felt very uncomfortable with that one. Um, and so... I didn't know until years later cuz I saw someone walked into a coffee shop late at night that had a DMT baseball cap on and I said I had two very different experiences can you tell me what was that and he said yeah that the 5-MeO was the death experience and that you know nobody unfortunately told me that I was going to have that death experience
2: Right. I think I've heard the white light kind of vision. Now, this is where it gets tricky because it's like you're saying. Um, it's not like you can just go to fucking Sam's Club or something and buy this shit. So uh, whatever I did the first time I and the second time within a week, like I was talking to beings and stuff, but it felt very much like getting launched out of my crown chakra. Whereas I've done it the other times it was very visual, all, um, but it felt like, you know, not quite the same uh one was orange kind of crystal one was like powdery i'm not such an aficionado that i know i'm sure there's people listening who are like you noob don't you know the difference um i don't <laughs> but uh yeah I, there's something about thinking you're dead um that can be quite jarring especially on a psychedelic
0: it was it was telling me that i would like my memory of this life would be gone in the less than the blink of an eye that all all of my memories of this lifetime would be just vanish. in <laughs> a split sex i was like no thanks
2: ever the taurus you're like i want my feet on the ground somewhat i like i like the body sensuality um so i'm kind of curious though um yeah like what what are your um practices modalities what do you like do you pull cards do you cleanse auras do you see the akash what's your kind of situation
0: I do cleanse auras sometimes. I can see if people have have had things put on them, um, like through curses and stuff. Sometimes I can see that. Um, I do Reiki. I do massage. um, And I learned a lot of different things from different um, elders, from different cultures. um, And I combine them all together. I do read cards, although don't do it professionally. Um, And... I do read playing cards as well, but I also don't do that professionally. I've been studying playing cards for a long time.
2: I'll have to send you a documentary um, called, I mean, you can look it up on YouTube, but I'll get it to you, called 21 Faces of God. Um, It's two and a half hours or a little more than that, so it's kind of a chunk, um, but it's one of these things like the first 45 minutes get into like Pythagorean gnosis and like, you know, just kind of crazy. Structures to you know music and reality and weird stuff, and then it gets into each of the major arcana. Um, I think you could dig that. It's funny because I think in some way, on the one hand, we live in such a post-consumerist lifestyle, and capitalism is so entrenched and everything that you know people. It's tricky. Like when you when you're good at something, do I sell this? What do I do? um What do you think in terms of like? I mean, are, these are things you're picking up on in energies. It sounds like anyway are you just trying to be of service to people? And then it's like an exchange. How do you look at that? Cause I mean, I've had an issue like for a long time, I just give, you know, red people's charge for fund. And everyone's like, you know, you're doing this for like two to four hours kind of thing. You should probably charge just because it's taking your time. Uh, and I've never really felt comfortable with that. Whereas some people, you know, try to crush skulls and like, oh, I'm going to pay my mortgage with this shit or whatever. Um, what is your kind of thinking in terms of gifts and uh, spiritualism and commerce?
0: Um, well, one of my, one of my Reiki teachers said, don't give it away for free because they won't value it. And if they're not valuing it, they're not going to feel as if they got a healing from it. And I think that's actually a really good point, um, to remember, um, because you are being of service and that has value so I don't have a problem charging people for massage. I also have to pay for education, et cetera. But um, I don't I don't think it's, uh, you know, we have to do something. Why not do something that we love that's helping other people?
2: I'm excited because so. I think that's kind of the age of Aquarius. I think people are tapping into like, look, we don't all have to be slaves to the machine. We can kind of hack this ourselves up, you know, whether it's cryptocurrencies or whatever. It seems we're starting to realize um, the monolithic structures that we've kind of inherited over maybe millennia even because money magic goes all the way to Babylon potentially Um, that we don't have to do it that way like we can kind of rewrite the script so it's very kind of empowering but it's also very you know exploratory. I don't know if there's a handbook written on this. It's very much like Timothy Leary where it's like, you know, we're writing this as we go along, kind of Burning Man style. It's like this hasn't really been done like this before. Yes, people have done tribalism. Yes, people have done art. Yes, people have had raves, but combine them all on a mass scale. That's Burning Man it seems Just, just
1: Just technically speaking, Jim, or also Yvonne, wouldn't that kind of make perfect sense in terms of what everyone, in my view, of course crazy enough to be incarnated here upon this plane in this dimension, upon this time actually has chosen to participate in if i would think of you know infinite parallel realities then i would probably assess that this scenario is one of the more interesting ones and then of course i mean we've had this debate and jim you also in a sense i believe sometimes we also were leaning between you know you walk down the hallway the way you want but walk down the hallway you will right so yeah but ultimately i would say there is definitely plenty of agency and it would just make sense technically again to do something in a sense that in this particular way has quote unquote never been done before at least not in a linear sense although yeah not sure if that's
2: it, it's sense. funny as you said agency how we had the wordplay with the most high in the rastafari and um timothy leary um when you said agency, I was like, You mean like men in black? <laughs> it's an agency. Uh but you right, I mean right. like free will, determinism, etc. Uh yeah, like what he's kind of alluding to, Yvonne, is um this idea that's like I mean, maybe Bashar said this, I don't even know, but it's like I, I think yeah, you it's, were saying it's oh, a Bashar analogy with the
1: No, just we you know with walking down the hallway, maybe how you see that analogy, because Bashar always says you choose a certain life setup and you will walk down that hallway. I would now add either in one life or if you suicide too early, then you know you just get back in line in the next life, probably.
2: Um, But
1: that you can still choose, you
2: know, whether you run or cry or laugh. Yeah, like your attitude to the thing seems to be what we control. So it's like, the hallways before you, you Now, are you bulking at the first door? Are you sprinting through it? Are you running back and forth and opening all the doors? um, Crawling? You know, that's your choice, I guess. What are your thoughts?
0: Well, to add, I also do charity charity work too. For I think for giving being given these gifts, that I do a certain amount of charity as well. I um, volunteer. volunteering. I. Yeah, I I kind of agree with that. I I, I don't think we're supposed to take ourselves out early. That. Yeah, I I would agree that you probably have to get back in line. Do it again, um, but I think we're moving on to a new age. I think this last um, planetary alignment around around January they were coming more into a different age, and hopefully, you know, I've heard the new Earth is coming, and we're gonna most of us are gonna be getting off that wheel, and we'll be able to choose kind of where we want to go to next and those who haven't finished up their karma will be given time to do so on another plane um and that would be really exciting
2: so it sounds like you're more or less optimistic i know this as an american for both of us this has been kind of a a weird year (laughs) with covid especially uh you think only uh, as an American? <laughs> well, I think the American political situation has yeah, but been kind this is of... the ratchet. global
1: power structure and the center of attention for almost the entire world, at least the Western world. Just pointing that out from a European perspective.
2: Right. So, I mean, I guess my point is, I mean, not to sound dire, but it seems like an apocalypse, but that's just like a lifting of the veil, so to speak. So, it, are, are you it seems like you're more or less optimistic. I mean, are you like waiting for angels to rip through the veil and pull you to out of the Bardo? Or do you think this whole thing is going to vibrate in a new way? Or, I mean, you don't, this isn't like, I'm going to, you know, put this in stone. I'm just kind of curious how you find, how you find this unfolding, especially given um, how much novelty you've actually manifested in your own life. It seems through, throughout your uh, own biography.
0: Um, I think it's going to be gradual, you know, this gradual shifting, over time but i think it's increasing um and i know it's not going to be smooth sailing to get there i don't i think it may be pretty tumultuous until we get there but that that this will occur within the next eight or so years in our lifetime and um i remain optimistic about it that's what's
2: up oh go ahead i didn't mean to cut you off
0: Oh, and I've been I've been listening to a lot of Alba Wyman hypnosis sessions and these people have been coming through and, and as with her mentor, Dolores Cannon, who was a an a major person in hypnotherapy she had people that were coming in and talking about the new earth coming and it's it's just on top of the
2: split (laughs) the great split. that's kind of what it feels like now i'm glad you kind of alluded to that because that's what it feels like i mean basically people are either doubling down for same old same old like i want a big mac and i want uncle sam or i want bitcoin and i want space (laughs) in the inner and outer space travel or whatever and then just
1: technically, I'd be curious, Yvonne, how do you imagine that? And, you know, again, not about it in Stone, and I'm not even sure or not even sure if I care too much about it myself. But also Bashar has been talking about the splitting prism of realities for a long time. People then say there will be a 3D Earth and a 5D Earth, when, of course, I would say now, technically speaking, there's infinite split realities in any moment and a high degree of choice in every moment. Um how do you imagine for yourself that this would proceed, like literally people, as I would say, transitioning or just manifesting completely new versions of individuals and maybe they come back after five years, you know, they're suddenly completely friendly and so on. Or Because I'm really wondering how this will play out also maybe to again put some, let's say, fear, not necessarily fear-based scenario, but a bit of information. Maybe you're aware of this website called deagle.com they do this military style predictions for populations and other factors and this is supposedly like some high level military analysis and they have the count for US in 2025 down by like a lot let's say 30% or even more of population um which could mean many different things it doesn't even technically have to mean that people would have to die or something but yeah i'm curious as to your outlook in those regards
0: I've heard about the machine that the military have for predicting the future, although I don't know much about it. I just heard about it pretty recently, so I haven't gone down that rabbit hole yet about that one. Um, I tend not to believe that so much because right. where's the divine and you know the divine presence and in that, and there isn't there, so I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't count that as...
2: as not too as much as credence astounding. to that. Yeah,
0: not too much credence. Thank
2: you. Well, it's funny because the thing that made me think when was like, maybe not everybody does, it's like, everyone just moves to Costa Rica and we decide to be like off-grid mango-eating motherfuckers or whatever. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. And it's tricky because this gets into presuppositions, presuppositions really quickly where it's like, is there might be a multiverse where it's like, anything's possible, you know? So maybe they're reading a tunnel kind of thing.
1: Oh, yeah. And this may also, of course, you know, be assuming certain scenarios. Honestly, my first thought now was communistic dictatorship and famine, um, but which may for various reasons, simply not play out that way. And of course, you know, I'm never uh, giving these ideas, you know, to make anybody scared, but just to point out these scenarios do exist. And uh, yeah, then to be aware what one gives credence to, just like you said, especially if we understand Bashar's main teaching, I would say, is that all reality fundamentally is solely based upon your own strongest belief.
2: Your vibe creates your reality, essentially, right? There's the idea.
0: I'd agree. I think your vibe creates your reality.
2: Well, uh i'm kind of wondering if there's any parting thoughts or stories that you would want to leave us with yvonne um it sounds like you've had a magical mystery tour at it uh you're doing the good work down with your mom and helping people out i'm glad you had a good mushroom trip and weren't like the gates of hell you know talking to imps or something like that you were having massage therapy basically it sounds like so good on you um is there any kind of parting thoughts or anything that we didn't talk about that you'd like to
0: uh i'll end with an ama quote uh love all as one treat each other the way you would treat meeting god or creator as if you were because we're all i believe we're all part of that so every person that you meet is god and you should treat them with that kind of respect and dignity and love
2: beautifully put yeah i think uh, we had our last guest ari Moshe, who's an astrologer kind of was saying something to the effect of um, There's only one person in the room, right? And that's it. So how we can go around and thrash about dramatically and create all sorts of divisions. Uh, that lover's card does show, you know, male, female, good, bad, all this stuff. The tree of knowledge of good and evil made us aware of polarity, I guess. But ultimately, the yin and yang are in one circle. So uh, let's just enjoy the ride. And I think the more we start remembering this stuff, maybe the better it actually gets for us all.
0: I'm down with that. <laughs> up with that.
2: So it is.
1: Know thyself. Further up and further in. Thank you very, very much for joining,
2: Yvonne.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's been it's been a lovely conversation. Very interesting.
2: Yeah, it was great hearing your anecdotes. Uh, you're very cool, Dolphin Team Rabbit Hole. It's funny, Raphael just said further up and further in. I just finished reading Narnia series to my fiance who's in England, and the last battle. I mean, that's like kind of last chapter. of The last battle is like. Everyone being like, you know, it's almost like uh, that Beatles song. Everybody has something to hide except for me and my monkey, which is like the deeper you go, the farther you go. It's like, oh, my God. So, yeah, it seems further up and further in. And and it is by simplifying in a word way, stilling oneself, getting in a breath, being simple, like loving, like you were saying. And when that happens, kind of the, the, you know, Russian nested dolls kind of open up and we all go, wow. But it's been a pleasure having you on. Thanks for uh, being candid and giving us your time. And yeah. Hopefully you enjoy the warm weather. I'm in Colorado today. It was like minus six or something with a windshield, like minus twenty or something stupid. So I am hope uh, it sounded like it was raining there. So maybe not burning hot, but at least you're not frozen. So enjoy that. Thank
0: you so much. It's been a pleasure to be on. And um, yeah, it just stopped raining. It's it's nice and enjoyable here. Thank and, you. Um, thank you for having me. Stay warm. Stay warm. It's been a pleasure to talk to you both.
1: Thanks so much. Thank you everyone for listening. Enjoy yourselves.